Good Saturday morning to you. We are coming up to 745. That's daylight saving time, which ends overnight tonight. Don't forget to set your clocks back one hour. Happy Halloween to you, Jack Farrell. Indeed, Demi. Are you going to go out trick-or-treating? <laughs> well, <laughs> well I, I think the neighborhood's going to be pretty dark. I, I'm I not sure. So. Yeah, how I about you? So. No, no. Uh, just uh, the only kind of mask I'm wearing now. <laughs> the medically prescribed ones. I understand. I relate. What are we going to chat about today, though? Well, you know what we're going to chat about today? A lot of people have asked me about these California fires, that especially the ones recently, the glass fire, which was out in Napa Valley. And, of course, during that, I called some friends out there to see how they were doing. And one of the best stories, I thought, was Rick Foreman saved his house and his uh winery, which is you know, part of his house. And I said, well, how'd you manage that? And he said, well, I got the pump out and threw it in the swimming pool and stayed up all night watering the roof of the house and the winery. And that, you know, saved it because buildings around them were burned down. And that's dedication. Of course, Rick has been one of the, for the last 50 years, one of the most dedicated winemakers I know of out in California, his foreman Cabernet is the benchmark by which I judge all the other Cabernets. And another one that I called to check on were the Krulls, who own Terrace's Vineyards, and uh, they had the same issue. They had to pump water all over the the hillside, and they saved uh, one of their vineyards was right in the path of destruction, and they were able to save it themselves. So while the firefighters did a great job, a lot of the folks right online, did the same thing. And when we think about that, I got to thinking about Napa Valley. And, you know, Napa is a real treasure for the United States. It's our best uh, known wine-growing region in the United States, and, and it's always considered one of the best in the world, not only in the United States, but all over the world. And it has an interesting history. Uh, you know, the Napa Valley itself has been uh, a Russian colony, a Spanish colony. They had independence for a little while. Then they were a Mexican colony. And then they were, as I said, independent. And then a U.S. state. And all of that occurred in a very short window of time. As a matter of fact, when we talk about the Napa Valley, we're talking about real recent history. Uh, in 1830, there were no white people living in the Napa Valley. There were eight tribes of Indians that were constantly at war with one another. And uh, so that just think about that. You know, the, the area isn't even 200 years old, and it's risen to such prominence in the wine world, and that's in a very short period of time. You know, it took Bordeaux 1,000, 1,500, almost 2,000 years to achieve its worldwide reputation. The Napa Valley has done that in very, very short order. Uh, it was very interesting, you know, when the first white people to come there uh, in the 1830s uh, were settlers, and uh, they were given land grants by the uh, Mexican government at that time. It was 36 through 46, and that's 1836 through 1846. And some of those land grants, we see the names today online, so La Hoda, uh, Napa itself, Caimas, uh, Chile's uh, Rancho Caimas, 
was uh, deeded to a fellow by the name of George Yount, and he was a settler in about 1836. He got a grant and built a sawmill and a grain mill, and he planted a small vineyard for his own consumption. Yount died in about 1860s, and the town of Yountville is named after him. Uh, then the next guy to come along is the guy who founded uh, the town of Napa, and uh, his name was Chili's, and he was a, a guide for wagon trains, and he set up the town of Napa itself. And Napa became one of the original counties in the state when California became a state. And uh, there was a fellow by the name of Krug who was another uh, early uh, settler. He was Prussian, of all things. So there's some uh, Russian-Prussian uh, background there a little bit. And he established the first commercial winery in Napa Valley. Now, that was after Buena Vista, which was founded in the Sonoma Valley. So Napa was really populated with vineyards and commercial vineyards after Sonoma, but uh, it uh, eventually eclipsed Sonoma. You know, you get an argument back and forth in California, which is better, uh, who knows. Certainly the Cabernet from the Napa Valley is considered, in my opinion, some of the best Cabernet produced anywhere in the world. And, you know, the Rutherford Bench and all those wonderful places are producing pretty fabulous wine. But I digress. We were talking about the history. And Krug established the first commercial winery, and that was in about 1850. So we're moving pretty fast. For No white people live there, uh, no commercial, nothing, just strictly a wilderness, native wilderness in 1830. And uh, less than 20 years later, we have wineries and sawmills and uh, a lot of stuff going on. Then uh, when they had the big gold rush out in California, Napa never participated in that, but in a way they sort of did because uh, they had the silver rush, and they had lots and lots. There were probably 10 silver mines in the Napa Valley, and they did produce a little bit of silver, but that too soon died out. But what it did do was bring immigrants in from all over the world who had gold fever, and then they began to settle this area. And, you know, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote his famous book, The Silverado Squatters, named after the town of Silverado. And it's a snapshot kind of the life uh, and characters at that time in, uh, in the 1880s, 1890s, uh, what went on in California and did a lot to popularize that area of California. He went there on his honeymoon in 1880, and that's when he wrote the book, Silverado Squatters. And he also drew attention to the fact that uh, Napa boasts a whole bunch of hot springs and there are spas. If you ever go to Calistoga in the Napa Valley, it today still is a big tourist attraction. You can take the mud bath or take uh, go into natural spas uh, that are uh, hot tubs, really, but natural ones in the rocks and the pools and the hillside there. And uh, Calistoga is still a town of, uh, there's probably 30 spas in the little town of Calistoga. And so those spas attracted a lot of people to that area. It's kind of at the north end of the Napa Valley. And, of course, 
it became at about that same time a popular getaway for people from San Francisco to escape uh, the cold and chill of San Francisco, and you could come up here and be in. And, you know, it's very close. If you fly into San Francisco and rent a car, it'll only take you about an hour and 10 or an hour and 15 minutes to get to the uh, um, Napa Valley. And uh, so it's really close. And at the time, of course, that was a half-a-day train ride. But even so, it was an easy train ride, and that brought people in from San Francisco. And, of course, by 1900s, uh, it was a flourishing agricultural area. And, but they were mainly growing plums and pears and things like that, and not really much in the way of wine. However, they did have a few wineries, and uh, the wineries at the turn of that century uh, were probably 120 or so. Uh, of course, the prohibition decimated the area, and World War II brought it back a little bit uh, because people began to drink a little wine. They were exposed to wine in Europe, and they came home with a, uh, wanting to be a little continental and drink a little wine, etc. And finally, in my first visit to the Napa Valley, which was in 1970, so that was 50 years ago, there were a grand total of 40 wineries in the whole valley. Today, uh, we have in the Napa Valley close to 500 wineries. So it's been an incredible leap. I mean, just think, from uh, 1900, there were 120. By 1970, at the end, of, during Prohibition, I think there were only three active wineries, and they were mainly uh, producing uh, church wines, etc. And so... Uh, we've done a, a really 180. It's back. It's agricultural land, and it'll be stay agricultural land. Uh, they they enacted something a few years ago to limit the amount of construction on the valley floor, so that'll always be vineyards or agricultural because they can't build condominiums and townhouses and all that wonderful stuff. They're very, very limited by that there. Another character who was from Minnesota, if you talked about the Napa Valley, you couldn't help but not mention him, and that's Bob Mondavi. Mondavi, you know, was born up in the Iron Range here in Minnesota, and his father, being an Italian immigrant and loving it, uh, his wine, decided they, they got terrible grapes here to make wine. So he went out to California to buy wine to ship back so that the Italian community up on the Iron Range could make some wine. And he was a pretty smart guy, that old Mondavi was, and he decided that he would stay out in California, and he sent for his wife and children, and they bought the Krug Winery, uh, and uh, the rest is history. But then Bob Mondavi had a fist fight with his brother in about 18, or 1965, and he decided to go off on his own, and he built the first new winery built in the Napa Valley since uh, prior to Prohibition. And, of course, it became a landmark. And today you can see that vineyard on all the Mondavi wine label bottles. There's an outline of it. And he revolutionized the Napa Valley because he opened a store and a tasting room and all those things weren't really done or commercialized. They had them, but not like Mondavi. And he was a real promoter of the wines of Napa Valley. He felt they were, could take their place besides any wine 
anywhere in the world and uh, how prophetic he was. Uh, today, the Napa Valley wines rival the great wines of Bordeaux. And as I said, the, the most important wine in Napa is Cabernet Sauvignon. And if you go out there, you know, there's lots to do in, in Napa Valley. Uh, they have a wine auction in June, which is the second largest charitable wine auction in the United States. Thomas Keller has his famous uh, restaurant, the French Laundry, is in Yonville. And there's uh, those spas I mentioned in Calistoga, etc. There's some wonderful places to stay, the Meadowood Inn, the Silverado Country Club, and lots of other little auberge and inns to stay at. It's a great, great place to visit. And after all the trouble they've had, when maybe when this pandemic settles down, uh, some of us can go out again to the Napa Valley and enjoy it. There's also the Napa Wine Train, which is a restaurant on an old train, and it goes up and down the valley. That's very fun. You can do, book it for lunch, or you can book it for dinner. And uh, it, it's an interesting experience. Mm. But we're very fortunate to have the Napa Valley. It is America's greatest wine-growing section, and certainly deserves our support and praise. Maybe buy yourself a bottle of Napa Cabernet. I think it's a good idea to do that. Very great information, Jack. Let's talk a little bit about Haskell's for the next minute or so. Okay. Well, Haskell's has still going on our wonderful fall wine sale. And boy, what a sale it is. There's hundreds and hundreds of wines on sale, not to mention your favorite spirits, beers, and seltzers, as well as ciders, of course. There's a Haskell's near you where you can save big dollars on wine. There's a Haskell's in Bloomington. There's one out in Excelsior at the lake. Fairboat, right off of 35, our super seller up in Maple Grove, is not to be missed. In downtown Minneapolis, you can park free on Saturday and Sunday. And we have one at Ridgedale, Plymouth. St. Paul's Highland Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. And if you can't come into Haskell's, go to Haskell's.com, and it'll take you right to on a trip through the vineyards of the world. Saturday's a great day to do that, and the vineyards of the world at Haskell's are open to you. And don't forget, let's stop in and pick up maybe a bottle of Napa Cabernet. I think that's a marvelous idea. deliver. That's right. I'm going to do that today. <laughs> Jack, thank you so much. Have a great week. Let's talk next week. Denny, I'm going to look forward to that. Jack Farrell from Haskell's Wine Chat, next Saturday, of course, around 745.